podcast has bad words. <laughs> Hello, Patreon. So we're here today with my favorite social justice warrior. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mr. Jamie Kilstein. Hi, everybody. Thanks for being here, man. So, you- so but before we get started, <laughs> yeah. a few Shut things. Shut up, we're Jamie. We're all so excited. Yeah. A, few, a few things. <laughs> One is... Ryan and I did this conversation with uh, Pete Buttigieg, who's running for president right now. Is he sitting in the seat I'm sitting in right now? No, no. He, we actually okay. went out to WME's oh, office, okay. All right. and uh, we sat in a conference room with him for an hour, oh. and we recorded a minimal episode. Now, later in this maximal episode we're recording now, uh, we're going to play something only for our patrons. We had him... We had. Pete Buttigieg read Onion headlines about Pete Buttigieg. No, that's amazing. That's so yeah, good. holy shit. And so it's uh, it's really good. Although I had a slight problem with it toward the end. We'll talk about that. Uh, we'll, we'll play it for the patrons. But before we get into that, you're listening to this. You're already on Patreon. You're one of our less than six thousand patrons at this yeah. point. Uh, we're capping our Patreon audience at six thousand people. Keeping you told the, me we were going to do that. The that's audience awesome. small. So. Um, I'm asking you right now as a pay, as a patron, you're already on Patreon. Head on over to patreon.com slash Jamie Kilstein podcast and become a supporter. We are supporters. In fact, we just upped our support to That's Jamie's crazy. podcast. I saw that. So um, support him. He does a daily podcast that is a political podcast for the non-political person. Yeah. And it, he is a stand-up comedian, so it's not the stodgy, well, we're going to talk about these topics today and mm-hmm. um no there's a lot of uh, irreverent humor ridiculous humor <laughs> beautiful humor that is injected into the topics that the things that we take seriously in fact uh we were just talking about this a moment ago jamie the the new book that we're working on called love people use things the the first chapter is about truth and mm-hmm. it's so it's a relationship book but it's not relationship in the traditional sense about just relationships with people it's our relationships with these seven different areas of life truth and values and stuff and people and so um one of the chapters is about our relationship with the truth Mm. and i think that the best way for us to handle the truth quite often is to approach it through humor yeah and your podcast is a podcast the jamie kilstein podcast which you can check out on patreon Mm. is a a podcast that deals with the truth via humor and in a way that it disarms us to be able to, some of these topics are so serious uh, i think the only way we can we can talk about them is through jokes yeah and there's a difference oh i should also say because i'm self-hating with dad issues if you don't want to join on patreon you can also listen for free on itunes and stitcher and all that <laughs> stuff uh but god damn it go to patreon um yeah i think that Especially now there's so much talk in the media about like offensive humor and stuff like that. Mm. And I don't think I said this when I did your podcast before, but it's worth repeating is that comedy comes from pain, right? Mm. Look, there are offensive comics who are trying to be mean. I will never try to be mean. Right. I will never want to like hit someone where they're down. I always think it's hacky if someone is like making fun of homeless people or shit like that. Like I think comedy is at its best uh, when it's brave. Right. And it's when, when, when it's going after sacred cows or whatever. Um, but the reason that talking about controversial topics is important 
even if it may seem offensive just because of the, the, the topic, is, is exactly what you said. I think that a lot of people think that comedians, like when I used to do interviews, they would be like, uh, so were you the class clown? And I'm like, no, the class clown beat the fuck out of me. Mm. Uh, and like called me like homophobic names and it was horrible. Um, a lot of times comics were the ones who were picked on or who had terrible childhoods or whatever. So the reason that I joke about political things is the same reason I joked about, that's a Patreon episode, my mom when she was an alcoholic or is, um, where my comedy didn't start in the classroom or like when I saw Robin Williams perform for the first time. It started when like my mom was getting carted away by like the cops on Christmas and me and my brothers would be upstairs horrified and the first person to make a joke would break the ice. And the joke was always going to be offensive because the topic was f- fucking being taken away and then the, the ambulance or whatever. And talk about the, the oh, too soon. It couldn't be any Could more Could not fresh. be sooner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Still drunk. Uh, and we're making these jokes because uh, once you can break that ice, now you can come up with solutions, right? So if I'm talking to – I'm still – much more liberal than I am conservative. And if I'm talking to a conservative friend of mine or a public conservative uh, person, like I did Glenn Beck show and I used to have Glenn Beck on my resume calling me a doofus. Like, and I was like, ha fuck you, Glenn Beck. Like literally my resume was like a nice quote from Robin Williams, a nice quote from Rolling Stone. Jamie Kilstein is a doofus, Glenn Beck. And I just, <laughs> and he flew me to Dallas to do a show and, and we talked you, so about I, it. I, I listened to a clip. I actually shared the clip with you. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. I, listened to, I haven't listened to the whole thing yet. Now you, did, did you mention the fact that he called you a doofus? Oh, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. And that I, I mean, I had a whole stand-up bit making fun of them and all this stuff. If I went into his studio and was like, like sup Nazi, like nothing's gonna get done, right? But but once I made him laugh, and once we both shared that and laughed together. Now we can even talk about stuff we disagree and we're still kind of like on a like, you're cool because we're still laughing about stuff. Does that make sense? It does. Now, I was just reading a, a article this morning uh, as I was preparing to to talk to you about uh, it was in the L.A. Times in the Philippines. Apparently, three years ago, they were talking about how social media started to ruin their country, their 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 especially their political environment because it has made us so divided and now we are we're seeing the sort of echoes of that i mean obviously the with the brexit thing and the most recent election uh whether or not it it had anything to do with necessarily getting trump elected yeah uh what we see and we can actually this is patreon so we could talk about politics on this one we when we talked with with buddha judge it wasn't about um politics in the current sense we we wanted to talk to him about politics in the traditional sense you know the 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 latin root of the word politics is polis means the the affairs of the city Mm. and so so everything is political because everything has to do with the affairs of how people congregate and and work together yeah so this is like the biggest sort of thesis of my podcast where I talked about it last time I was on the show, so I'll use a more recent example. So, uh, and I just talked about this on today's episode, I think, uh, which will be uh, weeks ago for you guys. Uh, <laughs> but so when Beto said, like, hell yeah, we're going to take your guns, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because I now follow conservatives and liberals on Twitter, um, I saw what happened. And here's what happened. Uh, what happened was when there were the shootings in El Paso. Um, and was it Dayton? Yeah. yeah. And Dayton. Yeah. Um, it was two blocks from my former house. Jesus. Yeah. Uh, so when that happened, 
liberals automatically did what we do, which is like something has to change, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. I, when I was in my liberal bubble, thought conservatives just didn't care. Thought that anytime there was a shooting, they were just like, Woo, yeehaw, right? As opposed <laughs> to being horrified. Yeah. And in fact, as a gun owner, I would be even more horrified. If I found out there was like a serial killer who was like just using jujitsu, I'd be like, oh, fuck, we got to stop that guy because I love jujitsu, right? Um, gun owners should be even more like, oh, we got to do something. And guess what? A lot of them are. And I never knew that. So I see this. Uh, I see a bunch of conservatives posting, you know, what are we going to do? I saw conservatives using the term white supremacy, which I didn't think happened, uh, unless they were like, hey, you know what's awesome? White supremacy. Uh, I, I saw conservatives talking about gun control, background checks, everything that liberals talk about. Then um, Beto says, we're going to take your guns, which, by the way, we're not. Uh, we're not. We can't. No. Uh, it's not going to happen. It's just something you're saying for political points. Right. And suddenly all these conservatives who are looking for solutions... Now they're posting, fuck you. You're not going to take my guns. And now the conversation shifted. Mm. It shifted to something. The conversation's over now. It's over. It's shifted to something stupid that we're not even going to do. And so we're backing them in a corner. And that's also what happens, by the way, when you call every conservative a Nazi. You think if that person goes on Twitter and, you know, starts uh, uh, talking about racism, starts talking about Black Lives Matter and is going to get called a Nazi anyway, you think he's going to keep doing it? Fuck no. He's going to be like, all right, you guys do your shit. I'm going to go like hang out with my dog and get off Twitter. And so by by pushing out these extreme narratives, we're, we're getting rid of all these wonderful people in the center left and the center right who actually want to have conversations who are just like, fuck you, I'm going home. Mm-hmm. Um, and by the way, we're, we're all of us are on the left and the right with respect to some issues. Yes. So we're, this isn't a public podcast, so we could talk about this with, with the Patreon folks. Like, I, I, I tend to consider myself... Uh, a very i'm very socially liberal yeah um and i'm but i'm very fiscally conservative yeah that means you like money and fucking (laughs) (laughs) i'm so sorry (laughs) they're great together by the way yeah yeah yeah. just throwing fucking (laughs) making it rain (laughs) and um and, and i think the the problem with that is I, I don't talk about those things in public because it gets in the way of serving the greater good and for me the way that I serve the greater good is helping people what understand what it means regardless of what your political ideas are helping people understand what it means to live a meaningful life with less yeah and that's the problem is we cancel people if they don't line up with our beliefs 100% anymore uh-huh. you know so like I'm still liberal on like 98% of things but I went on Joe Rogan, so people will call me alt-right. Joe Rogan, by the way, is liberal on 98% of things, but he'll interview Milo uh, and be called alt-right. And so we are so desperate to, I don't know. I don't know if it's because people nowadays feel like they're lacking identity, they're lacking connection. No, I got the answer. I got oh, the answer right go, here. Go, 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 so, go. So we do this uh, we do this segment on our maximum episodes called More About Less where we we read an article or at least an excerpt from an article. This is from one of my favorite thinkers, one of my favorite people on earth, Derek Sivers. Ooh, uh, I think I heard him on Tim Ferriss' show, but I don't yeah. like, I don't follow him 
I don't follow him like specifically. You yet. you you heard him maybe I don't know three or four or five years ago on there. We did the first uh, conversation with him publicly. I think in three or four years. Whoa. We did uh, uh, a tour stop with him in New Zealand. Cool. And and um, it was great. So p- folks can go back and and listen to that episode. Sean will put a link to that in the show notes. But uh, he has some great ideas. One of my favorite books of all time is a book he wrote called Anything You Want, mm-hmm. and. Um, this is an article from his website, very short, but it's called Travel Without Social Praise, but it has more to do with the social part than the travel part. I met a couple who were thinking of quitting their jobs and traveling the world for a year. They asked my thoughts. I suggested they should only do it if they don't bring a camera and don't tell anyone but their family and a few dear friends. Oh. <laughs> no sharing on social media. Oh, this is so good. Why? Because... We often live for others without even realizing it. We are trying to impress an invisible crowd. We like the social reward of saying, look, we're traveling the world. We imagine how friends and strangers would react to this big news. We go places we think would be impressive to other people. We take photos that will make our life look wonderful when we share them. We want that praise, that social reward. Do we really want to do this thing for its own sake? Or do we just want the praise? One way to find out is to see how appealing it would be to do it with no photos and no sharing. Like the first person to run a marathon without talking about it. If doing... That's funny. Like the uh, the, the marathon thing. Like one of my Twitter jokes is like, I would just wish there was a way that someone could fu- invent a sticker so I could know whether or not people have run a marathon. <laughs> um, <laughs> because that's the thing I see on, you know, obviously on cars all the time, 13.1 or 26.2. And that's the social, pr- that, that's the equivalent of tweeting it on your tweet. The Twitter is like the, the new bumper sticker in a way. Right. Uh, it's a rotating bumper sticker. If doing something makes us that kind of person, is it still true if we don't announce it? And, and I think that's the thing with, uh, with social media. I think it can be useful for broadcasting, but I think it's less useful. In fact, it can be toxic, as Derek is pointing out here, if we are announcing it to get social praise. Who did we have so, on yesterday, Ryan? Tara Button? Yeah, Tara Button. So what is this article? What question is this article answering? Why people are so divisive with their language on social media when it comes to politics? Uh, yeah, I think it's a, it's, you know, the term that's overused now is virtue signaling. Mm. But I think it goes beyond the virtue signaling. I think it goes toward experience signaling and yeah. value signaling and identity signaling. Yeah. And uh, it's the sort of look at me-ism. It's these like political Certainly mating calls. Of it. Yeah, yeah, where we're just sort of like shouting, I am good on Twitter so that we can kind of ignore what's going on in our real lives. You I'm know? relevant. Oh, yeah. I'm relevant. Yeah, sure. Yeah. But like when I was doing this, because um, I, I, I used to do this. I used to like attack people on Twitter all the time. Uh, it's because I was miserable in my real life and I was in right. a failing relationship and I didn't really have friends and I didn't like being in New York. But uh, you go online and you, you know, attack the dude who wrote this New York Times piece that everyone's mad at that day. Suddenly you have friends and you have validation and you have a tribe and you have likes and you have dopamine mm. and you feel relevant, like you were saying. And, you know, th- that's what's happening now with, with cancel culture. And something I've been thinking about recently um, Uh, about cancel culture, about people piling on and mobbing on Twitter 
is that, and, and this is, um, I forget who I was interviewing, but we talked about this on the podcast after the Dave Chappelle special, where I think part of it is people in their everyday lives feel helpless. Um, they feel helpless to quit the job that makes them miserable. Yep. They feel uh, scared to get out of a relationship that might not be working for mm -hmm. them. They get um, completely helpless when it comes to politics. Um, you know, that's one of the reasons Trump won, too, that doesn't get talked about a lot is not that everyone's racist, it's that everyone's kind of scared and the yeah. solutions are complicated. If you say, you know, if you are a, uh, a single parent taking care of like your kids and you just got laid off and you live in Iowa and my side is like, all right, here's what we need to do. First, we have to go to Washington and do something about campaign finance reform. They've already stopped listening, right? Mm -hmm. um, however, if you go, the immigrants took your job. You go, oh, all right, Why? Well, I know what yeah. that means. Now you got someone to blame. You got someone to blame. And so I think with cancel culture, people feel so helpless where they're like, well, I can't really make changes in the government. I can't really make changes with my stupid job and my stupid boyfriend. Mm -hmm. um, but I can get that dude from SNL fired. You know what I mean? Like, that's why, like, we love these little gossipy stories and we just pile on actors and things that seem insignificant in the larger uh, so, picture. So, so cancel culture is going out to ruin someone's life essentially yeah and okay. like look uh if there were you know racists in office or homophobes or what like people should be called out on their shit sure. i'm not on the side where but, but I'm, digging up tweets from 15 years ago that, is in, that's part of that's part of the cancel culture yes yeah. and you have to look at what's going on with your life that you see Kevin Hart, uh, like a successful young black guy hosting the Oscars, and you're mm -hmm. like, I'm going to dig 10 years in the past yeah. to find out something shitty he did. I mean, something happened this morning. I something did, that he had already apologized that for. That he had already apologized for. If Kevin Hart was just like, I don't want to host the Oscars because they're gay, then it's like, okay, maybe we should like remove him from the Oscars. Mm. But yeah, some 10-year-old like fake joke that he's evolved past. Uh, something happened this morning where... Uh, there was a person who wasn't even famous. They became kind of online famous, uh, raised like a million dollars for charity. Then some journalists dug up some problematic tweets that this person had. Then someone else dug up problematic tweets that that journalist had from back in the day. Wow. And it's like, yo, if we can all just work on ourselves and realize that we've all said stupid shit, we've yep. all made mistakes, we've all been shitty in relationships, we've sure. all been shitty to friends. And, and now we're more public than ever. Uh, yeah. However, let me play the devil's advocate for a second. Sure. Well, why are people making these stupid tweets? Like, don't people realize like this stuff is public? Like, because they think they're being funny. They think they're being funny. The, the same, the same exact reason why of that article. Like, they want attention, and they and they'll get attention at any cost. Yeah, but it's crazy though. Like, I don't know why we beat people up for a ten-year-old tweet because, like you said, Jamie, we all do stupid shit. Every single one of us has said something stupid, made a bad joke, laughed at an inappropriate joke. Yeah, we've done that. Uh, I don't want someone as a public figure who is perfect because because a that doesn't exist yeah but b yeah, you got bodies in the basement homie if like you're yeah. coming off as perfect you yeah. know yeah. um although i'm wondering about pete Buttigieg. i'm like wait a minute what what <laughs> especially after i read his book i'm like the, the the guy is is a bit of a i mean his book is beautifully written by he the seems, way he's just like that's that's what infuriated me even more i was in sedona reading his book and so i was like it's gorgeous oh my and, god and and aggressively white yeah uh, but uh <laughs> Jamie they monetized energy in Sedona. How do you do that? That is the whitest thing you can do. It's the whitest thing you can yeah, do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you know, I, I mean, I want a public figure who can look at their past mistakes 
and be like, hey, here's here's some shitty things I did. Yeah. Here's what I learned from it, and here's how we're going to move forward. I'm so glad you said that because uh, – and remind me, Joshua, I have a comedy answer for you with the offensive tweets for your devil's advocate question. But uh, what you were saying is, you know, we've demonized that. Um, part of it happened uh, with John Kerry when – I thought John Kerry, I mean, I'm not like a huge fan of his, but I thought his narrative of being like a decorated war hero who then protested the Vietnam War, I was like, this is perfect. Mm -hmm. Where like, you can't say he's like a puss who didn't serve, right? Mm -hmm. But you also, uh, like, it, it just seemed like this perfect combination where it's like he served, he was a hero, he saved his friends, and then he said like, fuck this war. And mm -hmm. I was like, awesome. And the narrative the that got spun was he's a flip-flopper. Uh -huh. mm. And I think that's so dangerous where, look, there's flip-flopping for political points where it's like there are soulless Democrats and soulless Republicans who will do whatever these corporations say. That, okay, cool. But changing your mind, evolving, um, that is no longer rewarded. That's seen as, you know, like now, if I come off as like more centrist on certain issues, I'm a right wing sellout who's only doing it because I was burned by the left. Not like, nah, I'm like almost 40 now. Like my opinions have changed and that's okay. Um, in fact, that shit, that's good. It should be rewarded. And I also think, and there are theories to this, and I, I, I was probably guilty of this as well. I think that because we like you said, have all said those inappropriate things, have all whatever. I think a lot of people, instead of being introspective, um, instead of looking at yourself, instead of being like, how can I better myself? We would rather just go, well, if I'm yelling at someone else about doing it, no one's digging up in my past. Mm. Or I don't have to think about my shit. Like yeah. a lot of times, like, right, like we protest about the things we're the most, like what gets us riled up? A lot of times the things that get us riled up mm -hmm. are deep down things we're really scared of or things we're really guilty of. Yeah. And so that happens a lot um, to the com to the offensive thing. I can tell you, and this might just be nerdy for like the comedy fans who are listening, but something happens with comics and this happens very early on in like the open mic stages um, where I don't care how progressive you are. I don't care how much of a feminist you are. I don't care how brilliant, how funny you are. Something happens when you walk onto that stand up comedy stage for the first time where you turn into a monster. You sound like Andrew Dice Clay. You're doing an impersonation of what you think comedy is, right? Like if Ruth Bader Ginsburg got up at a bar open mic, she would be like, oh, I'm, so, I'm fucking my wife in the ass. And you'd be like, Ruth, like what, <laughs> what is happening? Like, it's so weird. And the scariest thing in standup is not getting booed. Those are stories. I've gotten booed by 600 people in Scotland. Security had to escort me out of the back <laughs> of a castle. That was incredible. I, I, I think about that with reverence, right? The scariest is silence. Indifferent mm. fuck you silence. Silence in a comedy club is the loudest noise you will ever hear in your life. Mm. So what happens is comics get this subconscious or conscious defense mechanism where if they're bombing and if it's silent, they're gonna go, I'm just gonna be super offensive. Cause mm -hmm. then they're gonna get groans. I'm gonna get something, and groan is better than the silence. You're reminding me of uh, Andrew Schultz. Uh, he uh, um, he played a, a, a practical joke on a, on a comedian friend yeah. in, in New York where, you know, I guess in order to become a regular at like the comedy cellar or the comedy store, you have to you have to get past, yep, right? Yep, yep, yep. And and so the, he was auditioning to get past there. His friend was, and so they worked it out with the the the, the club manager there. I think it was at the cellar, and 
worked it out with the whole audience beforehand that uh, it's a literal nightmare yeah yeah i'm like having anxiety already <laughs> this guy is a killer like, he's so good oh, he's getting no. up there he's giving his best five minute set oh, right just like pacing high energy yeah to and and apparently so the the club manager took him outside before the his set and said all right well i just want to go over the rules with you real quick so you know whatnot and there's no rules it's a comedy no. club right <laughs> the, the manager's no. never going over the rules no. with you of the kind. and so what they did while oh. he took I him mean, outside it took his friend outside. Um, I guess Andrew went up on stage and was like, "Hey, um, hey, uh, just so you know, we're playing a practical joke on this guy. Nothing but silence. We want you to no oh, reaction whatsoever fuck, fuck. to any of his jokes. <laughs> Jesus Christ! For, for the next five minutes, and wow. so he gets out there, and he's just getting super like physical yep. comedy too, of course, and just." Killing in the whole audience, crickets, man. Oh my god! And How like, painful was it to watch? Can you imagine the yes. anxiety? Yes, because mm. I've been there. I've done that. <laughs> I can absolutely imagine. I'm having PTSD now. Yes, I can imagine it. Uh, it's horrible. And so when they get groans, here's the thing: not only is it a noise filling that silence gap, but they also get to be like, "I'm dangerous," you know, mm, and they no. get to tell themselves that because the 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 the, the clips that comedians love the most are audiences fucking losing it or sorry comedians losing it on audiences so there's this famous clip of like bill hicks freaking out at an audience in chicago there's this famous clip of bill burr at like a stadium in philly attacking philly for like seven minutes that is like pornography to comedians we love <laughs> watching that so if you're bombing to an audience maybe because you're new maybe because you're not funny but you're like, oh, I'm going to say the C word or I'm going to say the whatever and they're going to groan. Then you get to tell yourself like, yeah, I'm like Bill Hicks. And it's like, not really. Mm -hmm. um, but I think so that's like the kind of bad part about it. And then the good part is what Shane Gillis said. It's trying to be edgy but missing, which is if you can make a joke work and that joke has a forbidden word or a forbidden subject, that's kind of a goal. You know, and, and it's and it's not necessarily I mean, most of the time, 99 percent of the time, it's not to be hateful. Mm. It's this like challenge to yourself where it's like, yo, if I like I, I, I did my first show in L.A. Uh, the other day or yesterday. And uh, I have this joke that I, I did for the first time on stage in Arizona, which is like a little more purple, a little more conservative. And it's all about uh this girl telling me that she wanted me to eat her feminist pussy, quote unquote. And uh, <laughs> the joke, it, it, it's not its not making fun of feminists in like a mean way. Um, and it's not like a quality is bad, but it definitely has some of the riskiest lines I've ever said. Okay. Um, and it fucking murdered more in L.A., I think because people related to it. Now, if it was a mean, if I wanted to be like a controversial edgy comic and I got up there and I was like, here's why fucking feminism sucks. It's like, okay, that's bad or whatever. But... I 100% got off on the fact that I made this like super liberal, woke, bougie, female uh, majority audience laugh hysterically at lines that if taken out of context were very offensive and very could be seen as anti-feminist out of context. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that's the thing. Uh, did you see the crowd work special that Andrew did? I haven't seen it yet. Um, so Schultz, back, back to him, he... He did this crowd. I don't know, have you seen it yet? Yeah, it's the crowd. Incredible. It's so, incredible. So, and he dropped it on the same day Chappelle dropped his special, just beautiful. to be like, "Oh, yeah. what a ballsy fucking move!" Yeah, it's great, <laughs> and it's uh, thirty-five minutes of unwritten material. It's just him on stage riffing. But the one thing that makes that work really well is he probably has the most diverse crowds in all of comedy. So 
And what he does, which by the way is very important to point out, because he would be again outside of comedy and even in some parts of comedy now, known as like one of those like angry white guys who's a racist and a misogynist and whatever. Mm. And then yeah, you look at his audience and you're like, that is more diverse than the Nation magazine staff. Yeah, um, yeah. It's and so you you look at he's at the same time making fun of. Uh, white men, white women, Asian people, black people, um, black Americans, black Africans, like, yeah. and and he's he's doing it in a way where he's not making fun of them. He's not making fun at them. He's they're all laughing together and enjoying. He brings them into the joke as opposed to yes assaulting them with jokes. But if you took those lines out of context and right. you put them in an article or in a blog. He would be trending on Twitter, and people would be trying to get him fired. Well, yeah. I think I think we're starting to see this divergence now. And and uh, I I remember I saw Brett Easton Ellis tweeted about the Dave Chappelle special, and he said, "Did I just spend the last hour watching Dave Chappelle save America?" Mm. And and the reason he tweeted it, by the way, fellow Daytonian, he still lives in Dayton. Oh, right I now. know. Well, um, th that was one of the reasons I was cool moving to Arizona. I was like, if Chappelle doesn't have to live in fucking L.A., I don't have to live in L.A. <laughs> That's right. And so uh, the his most recent special, Sticks and Stones, uh, he addresses some pretty controversial topics, obviously. Like all of them. <laughs> yes. And um, uh, maybe not. But no, um, I, I, I would actually, you know, the only the only person I put above him is Carlin. And and because Carlin didn't just punch up, he punched so far up that he needed a ladder because it was like corporations, yeah. like people that could ruin his life. Yeah. Um, and uh, in a way, Chappelle's life can't be ruined. So right. he, he's he's a little bit more safe in, in that respect. Oh, Carlin. So uh, I'm really good friends with George Carlin's daughter. Uh, Kelly, who's wonderful. She gave me my first TV spot. Uh, she's just one of my favorite people in the world. And um, she has like a bunch of like, now she's doing like a bunch of like mindfulness stuff and like women's camps and like she's fucking just cool. And um, during Carlin, of all places, towards the end of his life, he had a residency in Vegas, which mm. is not a George Carlin audience. No. Um, and he was just doing stuff that wasn't even jokes. Like he had a bit at the end where there was no punchline. He and it was just bombing. Where he uh, he would be like, it would just berate the audience that there's no god, and then he would demand that if there was a god, he str strike him down right now with lightning on stage, and then he would just wait. And the audience was <laughs> so mad. They were so angry. Um, with the uh, with the Chappelle thing, this is going to sound like I'm trashing. Not trashing. This is going to sound like I'm, I'm saying negative things about conservatives. It's, it's more me being horrified as like a li liberal-ish. Um, the only people besides some comedians... The main people, the main public figures who were tweeting all about how wonderful Chappelle was were like hardcore conservatives. Mm. Um, and Brett Easton Ellis isn't a hardcore conservative, but he's been driven out of the left. The left does not like him. And right. um, he's still he, he's he's in a relatively similar place to you. He's a, a more sort of he's a provocateur yeah. in a way like he does. He he's a he's become a professional troll in many respects. Dude, I gotta get him. He's like my number one want for the podcast because of that. Uh, and so he, uh, but it was really interesting because Chappelle was is one of my heroes. 
Um, but he was also a hero to the left when he was going after. I mean, yo, I saw him working out material before he left for Africa about like the Iraq war that like brought me to tears. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was so good. Um, and you know, the way he talks about race, all this shit. Um, and now, now he's doing what comics do. He's a little defensive and he's gotten really mad at the left for calling him out because he knows he's not a hateful person. So he's going harder, which of course makes them more angry. Right. But it's so wild to see. I would have never thought. I don't think, I don't think so. Though. I, I, don't, I think it's a, a very small group of people. And, and that's where that's why I say we're seeing this this bifurcation right now. Yeah. Where you, I mean, obviously, the Rotten Tomatoes thing was was the biggest example of this. Insane. Right. Where where when they finally let the people the actual viewers of the special rate it versus the critics the critic score i believe last time i checked was 27 percent and the viewer score was 99 percent mm -hmm. and so there's this giant gap w where the critics are saying one thing because they have to say something publicly right right right, right. whereas the viewers are relatively anonymous and so they can give you their honest take on the thing. I mean, dude, mm. our favorite comics used to be the ones who were the edgiest. Yeah. Like Richard Pryor, who is still known as one of the greatest comics, like talked about his domestic abuse and talked about his crack addiction and talked about lighting a car on fire. And it's like, yo, that's like every box on like Me Too and like I mean it's it's it, it it's a lot of shady stuff, but it was someone who was trying to repent and be honest about their mistakes, and we applauded that. And nowadays, again, cancel creeps, man. If you're a fucking legit creep to women, or you're assaulting people, like yeah, fuck you, mm -hmm. right? I don't want uh I don't want people dropping the N word. I like like none of that is good. What scares me, and I wrote about this today uh, in Quillette, is that we are not rooting for redemption anymore. No. And my theory, or my thought, is if you really care about racism and homophobia and uh, sexism and all this stuff, you should want someone like Shane Gillis, the guy who was fired from SNL, you should root for him to get better. Right. You should root for him to like be like, yeah, that was dumb. And I don't feel that way anymore. And I was trying to be funny. And then we should see where he goes with that. See where he learned uh, what he can learn. You know, I I remember. So I'm uh, against cancel culture. I think you should be able to say whatever you want, blah, blah, blah. But in this article, I remember this story where I used to have this really dumb joke um, where I used the F-bomb where it was about uh, Texas. And I would say how Texas is a... Uh, um, motto the don't mess with texas i was like that's the only motto or that's the only state motto where like the motto is a threat and then there was this dumb joke i had this is i was like 24 where i was like if that's the motto they went with imagine the ones they rejected and i was just like texas you better back the fuck up faggot and like haha everyone laughed mm -hmm. at the time um it's when i was starting to get some heat and i would say about 40 percent of my material was pro lgbt it was under george bush it was talking about uh, uh, pro same sex marriage before Obama was pro same sex marriage before Clinton. It was actually kind of a risky thing to do at the time. And because of that, I had a huge gay and lesbian audience. And so no one ever complained about that joke mm. ever. It got a huge, just because also you were, you were mimicking a, a parodic uh, total version of a of a, a text aggressive text but nowadays that's not an excuse that's what people will say and they'll go no you're still using the word it's still hateful blah 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 and so uh so one day after i do a show in chicago at this theater that i recorded my cd at um i'm signing stuff in the lobby and this kid comes up to me and he goes hey 
I love your set. It means so much to me that you talk about gay marriage. Like, I'm gay. Just so you know. Didn't ask me to stop. Didn't ask me. Just so you know. When I hear the word faggot, I think of the people who beat the shit out of me. Mm. And it just kind of gives me like a shiver. Uh, And he goes, I'm not trying to be an asshole. I'm really sorry. Whatever. So we talked about it. We hugged. I signed some shit. And probably in my head as a cocky, straight comedian, I was just like, oh, he thinks he knows about gay things. I know about gay things. I'm keeping the joke in because I didn't want to get rid of the joke because it was a big joke. And then the more I thought about it, the more I was like, "Uh, me personally, if I'm trying to defend gay people and I'm upsetting gay people, I can find a different joke. I can write a new joke. So I stopped doing that joke. And in fact, uh, (laughs) uh, the host of the show, The Green Room, I did this gay rights thing that kind of went viral way back in the day, wanted me to do that joke. He loved that joke. Mm. And I told him the story and I'm like, I'm not going to do the joke. And he's like, no, you got to do the joke because Ron White was also on the episode with me. And and he wanted me to be like the liberal New Yorker against Ron White, the Texas guy. And he was going to feed me that joke. And I go, dude, don't do it. I'm not going to do the joke. And at one point on television, he goes, uh, the host is like, so Jamie, you have some thoughts on Texas, right? And I was like, lovely state. Like I didn't, I didn't, I refused to do it. <laughs> mm. And so that doesn't make me better. That doesn't make me moral. I don't think I would be a bad person if I kept doing the joke. The point when I wrote about that story is that that interaction would not happen nowadays. People are not brave like that kid was, and they don't actually mean it like that kid does. No Mm. one, racism is not solved now that Shane Gillis got fired from SNL. Um, All they want to do is get people fired Mm -hmm. and pile on them on Twitter and whatever. However, when me and this kid had the conversation and we both saw each other as humans and we weren't yelling at each other, guess what? I grew and he got what he wanted and he wasn't an asshole and nobody got canceled and it was an actual conversation. And so my fear now is that we don't root for redemption and we just want to watch it burn and we just want to watch successful people fucking go down and then we move on. But if you really care about these issues, you should want them to get better. You should want less racist and not to victim blame here. But what also happens, especially with comedians is comedians go, fuck you, and they're going to double down. You yeah. know how many comedians I saw after the Shane Gillis thing, who are not racist, uh, use the word chink or do like an Asian voice to try to get laughs or whatever, mm. and they weren't doing that shit before. And again, I'm not saying it's the fault of like Asian people who were offended by Shane Gillis and were like, fuck you, that guy shouldn't be on SNL. What I am saying is when you make such a big deal out of these things to comedians, they're going to double down They're gonna lean because that's what comedians do. And maybe those comedians aren't racist, but maybe people in their audience are. And mm. maybe people who aren't as funny or aren't as clever as these comedians. Now they're dropping that word because they're uh-huh. like, they don't associate with Asians. They associated with the PC people who brought down this comic. Does that make sense? It does it, make sense. Uh, yeah. I, I think, I think the redemption thing is so important, man. Because you think about right now, you've got uh, you've got the alt right, and you've got the racists, and you've got white supremacists, and they are just the uh, they're the punching bag right now. Which I'm not saying they shouldn't be the punching bag, right? But here's the thing: is that like you said, we should be rooting for redemption for them. Yeah. So let's say that they flip, and they're like, you know what? I have been an asshole my whole life. I'm going to start to do something good. I'm going to start, I'm going to stop this racist behavior. And now I'm going to start to do something good for my community. As soon as they start to get into a a public, the public eye, they're going to get canceled. A hundred percent. I mean, I, uh, uh, the, the the gun thing I was talking about before, remember how I said I, I, I retweeted that conservative who was like, we have to do something about guns and white supremacy and whatever. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was so cool where I go, 
I go, hey, I'm a liberal who wants to do something about guns. Here's my conservative homie who's a public person. He wants to do something about guns. Let's do something. All of the conservatives that responded were like, yes, this is like gone on too long. Too many children are dying, blah, blah, blah. Liberals, my liberal friends, some of whom unfollowed me after that tweet, after let's fix something, all they did was then why'd he vote for Trump? Then why does he write for this website? And it's like, dude, you have someone who wants to change. Or, Or... they're so angry, man. So angry. What is up with that? It's like scared and angry people. They just, well, you know what? Hurt people hurt back. That's that's right. what happens. And it's like, and, and it's, it's on both sides, man. Like, I think the other piece of this whole climate we have right now, too, is people don't feel respected. You've got gun owners. Right, you got very right, responsible right. gun owners like Podcast Sean here, who I would trust with my life, and he could totally carry a gun around me. I wouldn't feel... He has and, four guns on him right now. <laughs> uh, I'm going to get one now that I live in Arizona, but, by the but, way. But it's, like, but it's like, you know, you got people like Sean who are like, no, you can be responsible with guns, and then you've got the this drastic side of it that's like, no, we want to take away all your guns. So Sean doesn't feel respected because he's like, no, I'm a responsible gun owner, and then this person over here doesn't feel respected because they feel like they should take away all the guns. So... You've got hurt people and, who are hurting back. And by the way, when you talk to, when someone like you will talk to someone like Sean, you'll actually get these solutions. So for example, I've started asking all my gun owner friends, what do you think the solution is? Because there's some stuff that the NRA puts forward that's fucking insane. Mm-hmm. And that makes people like Sean look fucking insane, right? So I was talking to a conservative cop buddy of mine who's in Arizona. And I was like, you don't think we should like arm teachers, do you? And he was like, absolutely not. And I don't either. I think that if you are going to have a gun, you should a thousand percent be trained you should be mm. required to keep on training just like a martial artist yeah. right but i'm like i don't want teachers can't afford bullets like how are they supposed to like tactically train on the weekends or then you get all of these like these congress people who are like oh you know if i was there during that school shooting and i had my gun it's like you would have what everybody would have died if the congressman from connecticut was there right. with like his old man jittery fingers it's like you don't have the balls <laughs> to look nancy pelosi in the eyes you're gonna mow down a bunch of shooters like those people need to be called called out and people who are respectable law abiding gun owners who would actually do something uh, if somebody needed help and who trains on the regular and who knows how to deal with their fight and flight or fight uh, Mm. response like those people I want to talk to Mm. uh, but we don't get to talk to them because they're so demonized that they go all right fuck you you guys figure it out just don't take my gun and Mm. I'm going to be a responsible gun owner and I'm going to protect my family and you guys are on your fucking own. Did you see this clip where the uh, there was a gun protest and this dude walked up with his AR-15 strapped around his oh, chest? Jesus. Did you did no, you hear about this? No, no, no. So it's funny because like so there's this there's this protest going on and it's uh you know it's a it's a bunch of um very I don't want to I don't want to like label them here and be like liberals or far left but I mean obviously like you know something some some people on some side of the left yeah and they're they're, they're a, aware it, of noam chomsky right yeah so it's a, it's a it's a it's a gun protest and this guy walks up with his ar-15 because it's legal in this state yeah. to open carry and the woman who was leading with the megaphone literally one person there with a megaphone was this lady and she goes up to him and she just like fl- i mean melts down like how dare you my kids are present da, 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 da. and it's like for me i saw this opportunity where she could have went up to him and been like Hey, you look like a responsible gun owner. Yeah. And don't you agree? Like, like what's up? What are you right, doing? And so I guess the reason why I bring this up is because we have to find ways to to compromise on, on both sides. 
not the right's not going to get their way the left's not going to get their way and the more we yell the more we cancel people it doesn't it just divides yeah i mean if we actually talk to those people who are just afraid we're going to take their guns we could get them to agree on stronger background checks we could get them to agree on uh uh, stringent testing we could get them to agree on 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 so much but when we're just like you guys are fine with school shootings and fine with kids uh, dying because you got little dicks and you want to prove yourself and you want to shoot your fucking guns, then they're going to be like, go (laughs) fuck yourself. And a lot of that talk, and I was guilty of this, is coming from like coastal elites who have never shot a gun and were never raised with guns and were never raised with a dad who loves them and who has a gun because Mm. he thinks that's what he needs to protect his family. You know, on changing gears, but I I really want to get this out uh, before I don't forget. I got the wild wildest email from one of your guys listeners hmm. um i turn my phone off or else i would read it but i'll give you the gist of it where by the way out of any show i've ever done we've gotten the most patrons and new listeners from you guys which is That's so awesome. Dude, are, and they're always so proud to tell us i'm that not they trying found to brag, me on the but like, we do have the best audience out, like out of anyone i know we have the most like loyal awesome audience Dude, it was you guys really, are awesome it patrons. was really cool because like comedians you would think because i'm a comedian or like political shows and to be honest with you the less i talk about politics the happier i am the episodes i do on suicide and mental health and stuff like that are so much more enjoyable to me and it, it more along the lines of what you guys talk about but i'm not known as that and I don't get to talk about that as much. So I was kind of very pleasantly surprised that your people came along. It was fucking awesome. Um, but this email I got, most surprising email I've ever gotten. Um, I have bragged about my show. Uh, when I brag about the emails I get, it's usually about conservatives. Conservatives who write to me and they're like, hey, I'm a patron now. I don't agree with anything you say, but I really like you as a person and I think you believe what you say and the fact that you're willing to hear out the other side makes me support. And one guy is giving me 50 bucks a month uh, and says, don't ever censor yourself because of me. I'm not going to cancel. Mm. Dope, right? So that's the example I usually give. And that's like applause conservatives. This is something I never even thought about. And I bet none of you guys even thought about it. One of your listeners, I, I, I don't know if she's a patron to you guys or if she'll hear this, but um, is a liberal woman of color who lives in San Francisco. Mm. And she wrote saying how your show has saved me um, because once a month she would break down crying thinking that every Republican that exists, so half of our population, right, sees her as less than human. Mm. Because that's the narrative that a lot yeah. of, that, that us and a lot of white people are pushing out uh, yeah. on Twitter. It's every Republican hates black people. And that's such an exception, not the rule. Yeah, and yeah. what we thought, we thought we're defending black people. But I didn't realize that what that narrative is also doing is saying, hey, black people listening, half the population fucking thinks you're scum and hates mm. you. And so she would break down crying thinking about this. And she said, because I've interviewed a bunch of conservatives, uh, your show made me realize that not all conservatives hate me. And I was like, I never thought that that would be something that someone got out of my show. It's huge. Uh, which is huge, but also like, it's fucking horrifying. Mm. And it goes to show that when we are virtue signaling, like you were talking about or whatever, especially as white people, because we think we're so privileged. And so we have to like make up for it. Uh, we are, look, I recognize my privilege. I know like, I'm not going to get shot by a fucking cop. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not going to have some guy try to like grab my dick when I'm walking to the car. Like there's a lot of privilege that I do have, 
However, um, I still want to treat everyone as fucking equals. I don't want to look down on people because they're different and I don't want to coddle people. Um, but also a lot of times when we virtue signal um, and we talk about how you know racist everybody is and stuff like that, I never thought about what it would be like to be like a black chick and be like, oh yeah, I guess I'm being constantly reminded that everyone fucking hates me. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was wild. That's, all, that's awesome, man. There's I, one thing I want to go back to, which has nothing to do with the line of thought we're on right now. But uh, so I grew up with my stepfather constantly calling my mother a drunk cunt. Whoa! Like any, like every time that was up, like a pet name thing. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, as he was like berating her. Jesus. Um, so when I grew up hearing the word cunt, it was a very. Um, mm, it just really put me in a bad place. Yeah, of course. Because it was this reminder of, because, you know, you call her a drunk cunt and then he'd beat the shit out of me. I mean, Ugh. it was just a reminder of all the abuse that I grew up with. Fuck that. Sorry, man. So, yeah, it's, it's made me who I am today, dude. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. in a way, I really thank him for being an asshole. <laughs> um, but, you know, the thing is, is like, I, I don't know when it was, but there was a certain point, because Josh would say it, and I'd be like, dude, don't say that word. It offends me. Right. Um, it doesn't offend me anymore. And, I don't know when that happened, but I know when I when I realized that we were on tour in Australia, and, and they use that word yeah, a dude, lot. <laughs> yeah, and it's and it's an endearing term. Yeah, and if they call you a Gary good cunt, that's like the best compliment oh, yeah, anyone yeah, in Australia yeah. can give you. <laughs> so it's like I I realized like oh like this word doesn't have power over me anymore. So th so that's huge. Number one that you realize that, but that's something that happens a lot. Uh, with comedy, with um, people who get offended about things. It's they kind of pick and choose what they get offended about. Mm -hmm. So you sit through an offensive comics act. They're going to hit everything, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you're going to get someone, you know, coming up to you like, hey, man, I love the I love that joke where you called all the Mexicans the N-word. Super funny. But if you mention cancer again, my, my sweet mother died of cancer. And we kind of get offended at the things that like, uh, affect us personally right mm -hmm. we're fine with this joke we're fine with going after that group we're fine with going after that group but like you made a joke about bisexuals and i was bi for a couple of years and like or whatever and we find a way to get personally hurt by it yeah. as opposed to the most empowering thing you can do is yeah take that shit back or not care or you know realize like why am i holding on to this like i'm yeah. holding on to this because of my shit yeah um well the best way too for me to get over the the c word yeah. It, it is to laugh at it. You have to. Because if I if I just spent the rest of my life taking it seriously, then I'm just, I'm allowing that word to put me back in that place. And again, like it has this power over me that what if I laugh at it, I can just, I can just, you know. Yeah. And if, like and now I hear him calling my mom a drunk cunt and I'm like, you're an idiot. Like how fucking sad and pathetic is that? Yeah. yeah of course. Yeah. And like, but you wouldn't have gotten over that without that laughter and without that. And so I, I guess this is really my way of saying like, I'm a cunt. <laughs> no, yeah. Well, yeah, but you already knew that. I did. <laughs> you already knew you're a very good cunt. No, <laughs> this is my way of saying like, I think you should still do the, the Texas joke. Uh, yeah. Because, because I mean the real, the only way, because there is this initial pushback, but when people push back on you, you can just look at them and be like, look, I say this for people like you because you have to be able to laugh at that word. Yeah. If I was like screaming that word into nightclubs, then it's like, all right, well, that's not good. Right. 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 Uh, right. But like I do when I'm hanging out with comics of all, I mean, dude, you know who makes like the most like hilarious racist jokes like in my circle is like my Mexican jujitsu coach. You know what I mean? When you watch the joy they get ribbing each other and like making these jokes and something that white people forget is 
when I, you know, we used to, when I was in like my super wokey phase, uh, we would always make fun of comedy clubs and comedy clubs are like corporate trash and, you know, the indie alt shows, you know, with all mm. the woke comedians, like that's where it's at. And uh, a lot of those shows are all fucking white people uh, who can afford to be out and see a comedy show at 10 o'clock on a Tuesday because they're not working the next day. You go to comedy clubs. Mm-hmm. And it's working class white people, it's black people, it's Mexican people. Like the audiences that I played for in Phoenix last week, like super diverse. I was and just at, we, we uh, the three of us, me and Sean and Jordan last week went to the comedy store and it was Akash Singh was there. Yeah. And uh, he, I mean the whole, I, I was one of, we were the few white people there. Well, I don't know what Jordan is, but uh, <laughs> Jordan is, is. Uh, racially ambiguous. <laughs> uh, he's a swarthy dude. He's whoever he needs to be in the moment. He's <laughs> either a 20-year-old black man yeah. or a 50-year-old white man. I'm not sure which. Either way, he definitely plays jazz oh, music shit. at home. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, well, the uh, I mean, there was a reason that, you remember those stand-up specials in the 90s when like someone made a racial joke that, that panned to the black people to be like, hey, it's cool, they're laughing, right? Mm, and that's no. still, I mean, that's still a cliche that happens yeah. is there'll be a no. white guy on stage stage who makes like a race joke and he will have to be like the black people are laughing everybody yeah. calm the fuck down mm. now again if he went up there and was berating black people and we're like hey what's the deal with black people being lesser than us then it's like well that's not good right um right. we're not going to do that but if you're just talking about if you're taking away the power from those stereotypes or you're mocking the people who okay so this feminist pussy joke i'll just fucking do it and just <laughs> be- believe me that it crushes i have a moment where if you took any of these lines out of context it's atrocious, but I'm talking about how I'm talking about how it goes from this bit talking about how uh, if girls want to come a lot, they should date a sad, needy guy because we're so desperate for validation. Where like that we won't stop going down on you. Like if you're like, I usually don't come from oral. It's like, well, I guess I fucking die down here. And we're just like super needy. Right. And then I tell this story, which is 100 <laughs> percent true, which is uh, the one time I didn't go down on a girl was she was trying to talk dirty to me and she texted me and she goes after the show. I still can't believe this happened. She goes, I want you to come upstairs and eat this feminist pussy. <laughs> and the joke is where I'm like, one, what the fuck is a feminist pussy? Like, you can't talk dirty to me and then throw out a riddle. Like, what does that even mean? And uh, and I go, then I go, what's a feminist pussy? I was like, that just sounds like it's going to yell at me. Like, I don't need to go down on a girl to hear why I'm like problematic. And then, uh, and then the part that, again, taken out of context, I get to use these sexist tropes in a joke right where i don't mean the trope so i go also like aren't all pussies feminist like by default like no one in here has like a a self-hating pussy where there's not going to be a woman who's like equal pay for all and their pussy's like get back in the kitchen or like my body my choice and their pussy's like you're a whore like no one and then the joke goes on and on and on and on but that's like the premise of it but those are two very cliche sexist things right Mm. get back in the kitchen you're a whore feminist yell but in the context of this now i get to be really really silly about these tropes and it's kind of like it's sort of making light of those tropes where it's just like yeah, anyone who says get in the kitchen is a fucking idiot right i'm having this like this fake pussy scream it and so like now it's like it's not an offensive thing and 
we can talk about it now. If my punchline was like, so the fucking bitch better get back in the kitchen. It's like, all right, well now well, that's like, not I, a punchline. That's just oppressive. That's just, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's just very derogatory. <laughs> but like there are comics who will try to do that, especially oh. newer comics. No, so, I, so I've noticed this, yeah. not, not just comics. It, it's especially prevalent in non comics. And, and here's, here's what I mean. Um, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. uh, uh, it's easy to come off as wildly hateful. I've noticed this. <laughs> like, I'm a big fan of Sam Harris. Love Sam Harris sure. because he's an intellectual, does a great job of communicating with nuance and clarity and kindness and restraint. Mm -hmm. And then I sometimes will go to one of his events. I remember the first event of his I went to, uh. I noticed like these two atheists behind me and they're just like, like they come off at they, these two guys, and it reflected. Uh, if if I didn't know Sam better, I would. Re and I think this is why people have problems with Sam Harris is because there are often people who you gotta reel your people in. Yeah, well, and you can't really, <laughs> I know, right? I know. Like you, you can't, you can't like train them and say, well, don't be bigots, guys. I like, know. Um, uh, and so I see these two like atheist guys who are just railing against. Um, anyone who might even consider that god exists and, right. and they're being total assholes about it yeah and you're like they're what they're trying to do is they're trying to communicate the same stuff that that sam harris communicates with all the nuance in a book like letter to a christian nation yeah whether or not you agree with it you can at least read that and say well he's not being hateful he's, he's coming trying from yeah He's trying to present an argument, right? And then you have these other people that are like, yeah, but how about those fucking idiots who love God? Right. Yeah, but those guys are just assholes. And they would use, right. if it wasn't Sam Harris, they'd be using something else to be an asshole. Totally. Right. Well, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll give an example just in case uh, uh, your audience is like sick of politics. I'll give a personal example, which is the exact same thing. So my dad sometimes accidentally, he just knows every and he doesn't do it on purpose every one of my siblings and my buttons like what makes us so upset what whatever me and my siblings i i i'm the least funny of them like my brothers are fucking hilarious and we all grew up the same making fun of like when we all get together for thanksgiving like with my mom we're telling the stories of when she you know broke out of a police car like we're laughing about the most <laughs> tragic shit right right and so we also like rib each other hard about the worst things about shaky marriages, about my fucking history. Like, and and because my brothers are so funny, the 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 more offensive joke about like me being in a loveless marriage or all this stuff, it it kills, 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 kills. Yeah. Every once in a while, my dad in a text chain will say something so horrific and not funny that we don't know where it comes from. Where like everyone will be, you know, like, uh, uh, hey, glad you landed safe. Like, good luck with your shows this weekend. And my dad will be like, you're uh, Jamie's a failure who should have finished high school. And you're like, what the <laughs> fuck is happening? And, and then you talk to him and you're like, what was that? And he sounds so almost hurt. And like, like, no, I wasn't trying to be mean or whatever. And what I realized is, I think that's my dad trying to fit in. Yeah. Mm. I think it's him trying to be, dude, people forget being funny is fucking hard. Yeah. It's not easy. Well, that that's the thing. Ryan and I, we go out on tour. We've done nine tours over the course of nine years. And we have some funny bits in our act. Yeah. Right? yeah. Like, like uh, I did this whole thing about mom's dead cats. And like, like th there's a thing and it actually a lot of it stemmed from a very dark place and is dealing with the dark stuff. Yeah. And, and 
when I do that, like it's amidst the hour long talk and there's you know seven jokes peppered throughout. It's not an hour of stand up comedy. Right. But afterward people come up and they're like you know, if this whole minimalism thing doesn't work out, I'm like, what, what do you mean doesn't work out? <laughs> 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 there are 2,000 people here tonight. What do you mean it doesn't work out? Okay, I'm, okay, well, let's assume it doesn't. The whole explodes. But you should really become a stand-up comic. I'm like, no, no. I respect comedy too much to right. become a stand-up comic. Right, because right, right. the reason That's you're laughing... That's like a true self-hating comic, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> but the reason that people are laughing is because the burden of proof is, is not... Like, they didn't come there to laugh. Right. Right. They came there to hear something, and they hear jokes amidst that. Well, and, and to, back to what you were saying with Sam, it's like offensive comedy is even the hardest and I think that a lot of times and this isn't Sam's fault you know those people but I think a lot of times when those type of people see an offensive comic they'll see the Texas joke and they'll go oh so the word faggot was the punchline so I'm just going to use that word or they hear a woman talking about yeah they hear a woman talking about her rape and they go oh so rape jokes are funny so I'm just going to say you know whatever like uh, a really good example there's a New York comic who's really good really dark uh, named Jim Norton and he's talked uh, a lot about like sleeping with like trans people and like sex workers and sex addiction and blah 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 and a lot of comics in, in my generation who were trying to be like Jim Norton would just have these jokes where they're like, so then I fucked a hooker. And it's like, nah, like mm-hmm. that's not what made his story funny is the honesty and the vulnerability and the truth to it. Right. Um, it's the, not the, about the, the word. See, yeah. Jesselnick talks about this. He thinks that all comedy is birthed from, from surprise. Yeah. 100% of all comedy. Yeah. And actually he was disagreeing with someone on his, his new show, which is called Good Talk. Um, and, and, she was talking about well no like sometimes like you can do a bit that doesn't have to do with surprise like it's me getting on stage and running for five minutes straight and he's like well that's the surprise that you're willing to even yeah, continue the that was joke. Kristen Shaw right yeah I yeah, think yeah so. cause she's yeah. super weird and alty and doesn't seem like a Jeselnik type but it's like right your whole character is, is the surprise yeah. yeah so let me go back to the politics thing because I think this applies to non-politics as well you've you've heard me riff on this but I want to do it for the podcast here and I'll hold this up for the camera for the uh, true fans who are watching this on uh, on page we have two different tiers of cool. of, of oh, patrons yeah, yeah. here uh, so let's uh, I'm going to draw a football field okay only the most important parts of this 50 yard line right and here are the end zones you did this, by the way. It was so cool. The first time we hung out at a diner on a napkin, and it blew my mind. <laughs> <laughs> so here's the problem in politics, right? So we have we meet at the 50-yard line, right? And we have the left and the right. So the left and the right, L and R. And we assume there is a fence down the middle. Mm-hmm. And we are now hurt, and especially we see this on places like Twitter or any place where it's contentious. We have left and right, and there's a fence down the middle, that 50-yard line. And we hurl insults from the left to the right, the right to the left. And by the way, half the, literally half the time, I'm on, well, probably 55% of the time, I'm on the left. I would, I would call myself a libertarian, mm-hmm. by the way. Um, and uh, other 45% of the time, I'm on, I'm on the right. And we see people like, are hurling insults at each other. And I'm, so I'm never safe. Right. Yeah. If, if I'm half and half, I'm just getting. But what's actually happening? There is not a fence down the middle like we we think. Mm-hmm. There are two fences, mm. and they're both in the end zone. So if you're watching this on camera here, you can see. If you're just listening, you can imagine it though. There are two. We've built two fences. One here on the left end zone. This is like uh, the we'll just say far left FL, and then we have the far right. Um, and so we have two fences, and what is actually happening now is the people who are on the 
far right, the, the literal white supremacists, neo-Nazis, <clears throat> white power people, um, and, and also people who are just bigoted. They, they don't sure. have to be neo-Nazis. The, the, the neo-Nazis are on the far end of the end zone. Mm -hmm. And then you have just They're bigoted. calling the kind of Nazi sellouts right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the, and then you have the people here who are anywhere in this end zone on this side of the fence who are now hurling insults and, and rotten tomatoes at the people who they consider to be lefties, but these are actually people who are center right. right. And so most of us, and this is really what Jamie's podcast is about, it, most of us, the 80% of us, or probably 82% of us, are here in the middle. Right. This is the large center. We're all centrists. Right. And we might lean slightly to the left or slightly to the right, but what's happening is we're being insulted or assaulted by both sides. So people on the far left, and this is really what happened to Jamie Kilstein, is um, he was somewhere here on the left, but he wasn't left enough somewhere for some reason for some people who were in this end zone on this side of the fence. And so now they're calling him alt-right, even though he's way over here on the mm. left. Well, you're not far enough left, buddy. Yeah, and by the way, isn't yeah, that crazy. a good thing? Like, people will argue about it and, and, and talk about, but like, don't, wouldn't we rather live in a world where we don't feel that divided, where we don't have to, I mean, you go on Twitter yeah. and you think it's gonna be a fucking war zone and then you walk outside and it's like chirp, chirp, chirp. And like, everyone's nice. And you know, you're talking to people who may disagree with you politically. You're not asking them, you know, when you go to check out the supermarket, you're like, what are your beliefs before? Like yeah. you say, thank you. Like, it's like the girl who wrote me, like how much more, how much nicer is it now? Look that we still have institutional racism we still have institutional sexism and all these things need to be taken care of and they're getting better every year if we if we actually look at the things that we've accomplished instead of just looking for the wrong like god how far has a uh, 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 gay rights come mm -hmm. in like our lifetime it's so incredible it's I mean, we fucking have, so, incredible so pete Buttigieg is running for president he literally could not have run for president because he could he could have been married what eight years ago Dude, and obama and clinton yeah. We're not for gay marriage. Right. I mean, some of the most homophobic policies happened under Bill Clinton. Yeah. That's how far we've come. And that should be applauded and celebrated. And we can keep doing that with race, with sex, uh, uh, with the LGBT community, etc. But also, we don't have to constantly think that we are just under fire and being attacked. If I was... Uh, if I was, uh, this is, if this taken out of context, not good, maybe even in context, if I was like a young black trans person and every time I go on Twitter, people are acting like I'm going to fucking be murdered. Yeah. Now, look, we do have a lot of yeah. like trans people of color who are being murdered. Right. Mm -hmm. Or if I was a black person and, uh, yeah, it is going to be harder for me to get a job sometimes. Like those things are true. It is harder for those people, but I want to be empowered. Mm -hmm. I want to empower people and not just tell them that they're the the constant victim. That tell mm -hmm. them it's like, hey, things are going to be harder for you. So go out and fucking slay it mm -hmm. and rub it in those bigots' faces. Like that's what I want. I don't want people to think that like the uh, half the population is going to fucking stone them to death if they leave their community if they if they go outside. I mean, there mm -hmm. are realistic problems in the world, but like, fuck, man, you got to be a little bit of an optimist. Yeah. Man, unfortunately, like the the girl who wrote you, yeah, she is all she hears is that far right side, right. And unfortunately, right. the people who are on the furthest side, like those are the one, those are the voices who get, even though they're the minority, uh -huh. 
those are who are the loudest. Basically. And then the more the far left demonizes all of the right, mm-hmm. the more quiet the center right is going to be, and then the louder the extreme right is going to be. Absolutely, and it's not just louder; it's actually easier to understand because there's there's no nuance over here, right? So, mm-hmm. and there's no nuance over here on the left side either. Like it's it's sound bites. And that stuff works really well for Twitter or for short TV interviews or whatever. What do, what's really hard is we've been talking for over an hour now and having nuanced conversations. Yeah, that's hard. That's hard to have. I mean, yeah. when you look at someone like let's let's shift a little bit as we wrap this up and we'll get into Pete Buttigieg reading Onion headlines mm-hmm. in in a moment. But um, when I see someone like Pete Buttigieg, I'll say this just for the patrons. We'll keep this amongst us, y'all. Um, He's the first Democrat I've ever donated money to. Yeah. And uh, I'm not endorsing him. I'm telling you, that you're listening to this, you should vote for him. Uh, that's not what Ryan and I do. I don't want it to get in the way of our message. I, don't, I want to continue to serve the greater good. I, I'm just, uh, f- because this is our private space with, with Patreon, uh, I will say he's the first Democrat I've ever donated money to. Now, I generally don't vote for Republicans or Democrats, personally. Yeah. Um, and although I voted for, I have voted for both. Sure. And um, in fact, in the last election here, I voted for both. And um, I, I tend to vote for independents. I'm a registered independent. Yeah. And, uh, and fucking. <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, but I look at someone like Pete Buttigieg, and what's strange is we all fit, he is gay, but he's probably also the most Christian person who's running yeah. for office on both sides, by yeah. the way. Oh, yeah. And. That 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 doesn't seem to line up, right? Because it's like, well, well, how is that even possible? How can you be gay? And well, it's because we're all nuanced. Yeah, dude. We're a bag of of nuance. So and Jamie, we should root for that. We should want that. Absolutely. And by the way, I don't agree with him on everything. And I'd love to talk to you about um, both of you actually about the current. You know the 2020 election. It's it's 2019 right now. This will actually come out next week. Oh, cool. So. Um, Episode 200 is our episode with, with Pete, and then on Thursday, this this will come out. So dope. And so we have... Please at least on one of your tweets, include both of us together, because <laughs> I love him so much. <laughs> Deal. We'll, we'll make that work. <laughs> Jess, if you're listening to this, uh, you should be. Jess, Jess. Uh, yeah, and so... Um, Let's let's talk a little bit. I know Ryan. Uh, last time around, we could talk about this because it's Patreon. We don't we don't tr- tend to do this in public, but uh, I know you you were a Bernie fan. Last yeah. time around. Well, I like I like uh, I like Bernie. I think for the same reason people like Trump because he is kind of a a wrench in it all. Such a good point. I love that you said that. But like, I'll be honest, man. Like with this whole impeachment stuff, I might not vote next year. Wow. Because it is so. It is so divisive. It's like there has to be an independent that rises, but like on the last election, you know, I chose the worse or the lesser of two evils, oh. in, my, in my opinion, and uh, it didn't get anybody anywhere. So, I mean, when it comes to the twenty twenty election, it's like, uh, dude, I really might abstain. I really, I really might go back to abstaining because this whole impeachment thing, it is. Um, both sides are snowflakes. Mm. Yes, 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 yes. It's like both. I mean, like they want to they want to coin you know snowflake to mean like the, the the far left or the left side, but both sides are so sensitive right now that nothing is getting done, and they're yeah. There's there's Coke and Pepsi. There's the lesser of two evils, 
but they're both evil, man. And like, yeah, I, and I and I don't and I don't know what to do except for abstain. In voting for something like the Green Party, um, I, I can't do I can't I can't choose that party for reasons that I won't go into because I don't want to be divisive. Uh, libertarian, I've thought about that. Libertarian's great on paper, but it's just like communism. It's, it looks great on paper. Well, I've, so I I tend to identify <laughs> more with with libertarian. Uh, than any other. I, I'm not a libertarian, uh, but I, like I said, I, I would call myself a libertarian because I still believe in regulation. Sure. I, I'm definitely not an anarcho capitalist because if you want to see an example of anarcho capitalism, and we have good friends, again, we're on Patreon, so we can say this. Like, uh, Sean is close to an anarcho capitalist. Yeah. T.K. Coleman is a definite anarcho capitalist. Yeah. Sean cocked his gun when you said that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and and T.K. Coleman is, by the way, one of the brightest thinkers I've ever met. Yeah. Uh, he and I, you okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. Um, yeah I the uh, the uh, TK is one of the brightest thing in, in, thinkers I've ever met. Yeah, and he he, he believes in you know anarcho capitalism. But when I the only place I've seen that happen play out is like places like Somalia, and we see how great that's worked out. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, how, uh, what's the answer? Yeah, I I I think it. I is, think Buttigieg would be a good a good candidate. Bernie, the more I mean, what do you tweet the other day? There should be no billionaires. And it's like that is um, yeah that's divisive by itself, right? Yeah, and he's well, he's starting to cave more to that far left side, and yeah, and, my, and go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say my friend, my new friend uh, Andy, my new Twitter buddy. He's the he, he has a pretty big Twitter following. He's the EP on Ellen's show. He got a lot of shit because he hated that tweet, and he's pretty liberal. Mm-hmm. Um, where he was like, so you mean like Warren Buffett and Oprah? And like these people who, yeah, and the left does that a lot. And I used to do that, uh, the kind of resentment. And it's like, I want good people to be successful. That's an easy blanket statement, right? So that's that's the far left thing where it's like, hey, there should be no billionaires. It's easy to understand. It's people. It's divisive. It's not. It's not a nuanced center opinion where it's like. Well, okay, um, maybe. May, so so here, here's, a, here's an example. South Dakota, mm-hmm. and this is a stat from 2015, I believe. South Dakota has the same population as San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Okay, the state of South, South Dakota has the same population as the city of San Francisco. Yeah. However, the state of South Dakota contributes to charity four times more frequently, Whoa. or four times as much, than the, the, the billionaires, which, by the way, are appreciably richer mm-hmm. uh, the uh, and so what does that have to do with well there it's it's not well that rich people contribute less no it's there is a particular culture of contribution in a place like south dakota right that leans slightly more conservative they're yeah. probably more religious yeah. and, and they they contribute in ways because their culture has has encouraged them not to give half of your money or whatever, or to tax someone seventy percent. But it's like, hey, maybe ten percent of my money should go to charity. I want to make a prediction. Uh, Trump's going to win twenty twenty. Yeah, and he's going to win because his his base is going to be the most charged. Yeah, and this this because we're just tearing each other apart on the yep. left. Yep, and they, they in which, and I don't know what this says, but like, it's really it's whoever's base is going to become most united. And they are going to be the most united, especially because of this impeachment thing is going to fire up all base. Yeah. And people like me who are like, like, I just want it to be over. I just like throw my hands in the air at this point. And I'm like, you know what? I'm a white dude in America. So I'm just, I'm going to do everything that I can in my own power to like create a good life for the people around me. And I'm going to go out of my way. But ultimately, like, 
I, I, the president isn't going to affect me that much. Also, I don't want to. But, but just because it doesn't affect you doesn't mean it doesn't affect other people. Yeah. No, I no, I totally understand that. But it, it, there, but there's not a there's not a choice that's going to help. I guess what I'm trying to say is is that it makes me become more uh, passive. And I don't. What I mean, the, so no, let, let's talk about the good you. stuff. Hold on, let's talk about the good stuff though, yeah. because I, I think that you know, if if you're saying in in this. By the way, this applies to both sides. If you are a, uh, if I vote for anything, it'd be climate change, really. But okay, but l- so let let's talk about this for a second. Um, we we have we have you're gonna have ultimately two choices plus some additional choices. Mm-hmm. And and by the way, we live in California, so voting for a a third party is almost always the best choice. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the reason being is because regardless of, of who you vote for, if you can get a third... Our political system's broken because we have two parties. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and it's left and right. And and it becomes what you were talking about, Coke and Pepsi, or what you said a moment ago, the lesser of two evils. Yeah. The, the, the the problem with that but thinking... It's really like battery acid or hot lava. <laughs> like those are the two options. <laughs> maybe, but maybe not. Maybe it's lesser of two evils, but one is evil and one is lesser. Mm. And... And if that is actually the case, where you have two options, one is evil, one is lesser, whatever you think the the evil one is, the lesser one is, the last election, a lot of people thought, well, Trump is lesser, but Hillary is evil, and mm-hmm. so I'm going to vote for Trump, or other people said, well, it's lesser of two evils, so I'm going to sit it out, all, out altogether, right. and, and then... Um, there are consequences for that. Mm-hmm. And I think this time around, especially during the primaries, we have we have a group of people. I vote in the primaries. We have an opportunity to mm-hmm. devote for. Yeah. And I don't know who's going to run independently. And so those are other options. Now, Ryan and I, we often, we have a published stick to, to highlight that we're different people. And we often say like, Hey, we voted for two people in the twenty six, two different people in the twenty sixteen election. Now, people's minds instantly go binary. Oh, yeah. Right, we've had people yeah. write us emails and they're like, "I can't listen to you guys anymore because one of you voted for Trump." Oh, yeah, I had no. someone on Twitter say, yeah. say this recently, and they said, I, and I, "Neither of us voted for Trump." I had, no, of course not. <laughs> well, I had to un, I had to unsubscribe because I found out when you voted for Trump, and I just responded, "I'll give you ten thousand dollars if you show me where either one of us has admitted to voting for Trump." Right, and it's and by the way, and then I also responded and I said, "Hey, um, by the way." This is what's wrong. You can't listen to anyone who voted for Trump. Right. I'm not saying either one of us did or didn't vote for Trump, but you can't Ooh. find a place. Also, don't you want to convince them why voting for Trump? Like, wouldn't you want to stay close to that person and have the conversation and figure out why so they don't repeat that mistake? Yeah. And so that maybe you can, like, change their mind? That's not the climate we're in right now, no. but I totally agree with you. <laughs> but, dude, hear me out on this. What does this mean? No one sent me an email and said, I can't. One of you voted for Hillary. So I, I didn't get one of those emails. Right. Right. Isn't that weird? Well, it's weird how... Uh, how it, it, Not it, one per. So it's what tells me is like the, the right, they'll forgive you for voting for Hillary, but the left will not forgive you for voting for Trump. Well, that was what happened to me on Twitter. Uh, I wrote down the weirdest notes because I have so many thoughts. And I you wrote try- it back I, uh, on I, the I, back of uh, my favorite relationship book, by the way, by yeah, Colin Wright. We were talking about relationships, about relationships a lot before we went on air. Uh, <laughs> none of these jokes make sense. I'm going to try to make these as short as possible. Um, oh, no, I'm not. Uh, another, <laughs> another dad tech story that I remembered, uh, which I think is even funnier, is so I'm one of five kids, and uh, my dad will... He's getting older, so he writes these really long, sentimental texts whenever he's at the airport, whenever he's doing anything, where he's like going to the grocery store and the sunshine reminds me of how proud I am of my... You know, he's just getting older and being sweet. But 
he'll try to be very specific with, with each one of us and like each one of our accomplishments. But one of us, usually me, is like always going through some shit and he doesn't want to leave anyone out. So like there'll be these long texts where it's like, I'm really proud of like Stephanie who's like raising her children to be like honorable, like diligent stewardess, like, or, you know, citizens of the world. And like Nick now at Yale Law, like, you know, really gonna teach those fat cats a lesson. And I'm proud of like David for like moving in with his girlfriend and starting a new life together. Jamie, hang in there. And Mark will, and he'll just like throw <laughs> in this like, go get him champ. You'll be okay one day. Uh, so that's my dad. Okay. The voting thing. I think what you said was really brave. I think it was brave to admit. Um, and I, I think I fall in the middle um, of you guys. And I think I might have an, an answer for you so you don't feel shitty about it because I used to lecture people about voting and I, if you don't vote, you're part of the problem. Um, I feel, and, yeah. No. And, and, well, I said, there's a lot of reasons I feel shitty, shitty. Like the, the being a white guy in America thing. I feel guilty about that. Of course. Of course. Of course. Yeah. So I, I think I have a, a solution, um, which is uh, blackface. No, I have a solution. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, that is never the answer and it's not funny. Not the answer. Not the answer. Um, the... Uh, I mean, I remember, I remember for Hillary. So I, I, I vote. I, I didn't vote for Hillary. I lived in New York. Um, I did vote for Bernie in the primaries, and I remember doing an episode of my old podcast and being like, you know, if you don't vote, people died for your vote. Blah blah blah. And I was like, oh, I guess I have to go vote for Hillary, who I that just do not like. Want to vote, dude? And and I walked by the polling place, and I was just like, meh. And then I like went and saw Avengers or something. I was like, I'm not gonna do it. Uh, and I was just a fucking hypocrite. Um, and. Both parties are the same, and, and I don't want to send a message that says like if, uh, there was a there was a story that said I like Elizabeth Warren, but there's a story that says she's starting to get advice from like the Clinton campaign, and I was like, if she turns into another Clinton, I'm out. Yeah. No fucking way am I going to vote for that because you can't let the Democrats keep being sellouts and keep yeah. staying the same. And as much as people hate Ralph Nader and hate third parties and whatever, it is sending a message. I mean, the reason that we're even talking about class the way we are is because there was such an outpouring of support for Bernie. Um, so you can call him a spoiler or you can say he actually changed the narrative and he's the reason that Hillary Clinton started talking about Black Lives Matter and started talking about class in the upper 1%, et cetera. Yeah, um, if there's anything I really respect about Bernie, I'd like to talk to you about some of the, the candidates as well um, who really sticks out to you. But the thing that I really respect about Bernie even though I disagree with him on probably 60% of the stuff, is I really respect his congruency. The same way I respect Ron Paul's congruency on the, the other side, even though I, I disagree with him on you know, 30 40% of stuff. And I, 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 and I, there's a difference. You talked about flip-flopping earlier. It's, yeah, you, can, you should have the ability to change your mind on stuff, but that's because you've been presented new information. Right. Like with Hillary Clinton, it's like, oh, you were just given poll numbers about now same-sex marriage is cool and popular, so you can like right. go behind it, right? Where yeah, it's when like, you're poll testing what your opinion is on that's something, the, that's, that's, that's what flip-flopping is, and, right? And that's, by the way, Bernie hasn't done that. And um, I'm actually... I can't believe I'm saying this. Sean, put your gun away. Um, <laughs> I'm I'm really warming up to the idea of Medicare for all, and yeah. and I I have problems with it for a bunch of reasons. Now I've had, as you know, the last year I've had a ton of health issues, and uh, I've had to spend a ton of money just going to doctors, oh. and that's not why I'm warming up to Medicare for all. Though uh, I what I what I'm warming up to it is I'm realizing how broken the system is and a lot of it has to do with the 
the insurance company mafia that so I, I had a colonoscopy back in february right i get the bill in the mail it's twenty six thousand dollars for a colonoscopy mm. and then they're like oh but your your insurance negotiated down to twelve hundred and fifty dollars and it's like, oh, so if I didn't have good insurance, it's $26,000? all of it. I said, I, I, I went through the opposite of what you did, which is I didn't go to a fucking doctor once because uh, my health insurance is so bad that anytime I got injured, I would have to go to like three different doctors. And I was like, oh, I didn't go to the doctors once and I just sent some fucking corporation of criminals a $400 check, which I can barely afford every month for nothing. For nothing. Right. Just to, just because I was being like shaken down. Like mm -hmm. the system is a thousand percent broken. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so I'm with you on that. Um, so so that's, it works. It works okay now for people who are, who have $27,000 uh, bills like mm -hmm. I, I think it works for really sick people but that is that's the minority mm -hmm. uh and the, the, most people prices went up like all all it did the same thing for me the only thing that obamacare did for me is it made everything more expensive for me now and, and all i'm like, not i'm not a I, I am i lean more towards medicare for all but like now that we're in it now i'm like oh like we need to and i hate regulations i freaking hate yeah. regulations but we've got to be able to regulate by, by the, the, the insurance industry okay, in the medical so industry. You got to be able to go to a hospital and look at a menu. This is why the third party thing, and this is why voting in the primaries is actually important because Obamacare did some great things that were urgent, mm -hmm. right? It, it, it let people Especially stay on the there. Condition that was thing. the biggest yeah. one, the pre-existing yep. condition. So that alone, I tell myself like, oh, it was worth it when I'm like sending these horrible checks. That's exactly what I tell myself. However, yeah. if we actually tried a Medicare for all system, Right, like these 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 milquetoast compromises that the Democrats do because they're still in the pocket of these corporations, mm. and that's what I worry it's about. It's just the worst of both worlds, yeah. where Republicans who have good health insurance get to go, yeah, fuck you, Obamacare is shitty because now I have to change doctors or my premiums went up or now you're saying if I don't have health insurance I'm going to get a fine uh, because we were so desperate to uh, appease these corporations as opposed to if everybody suddenly had free health care people would at least get to experience it and right. be like it's not free health care though no, we, no, no, we no, I know, stop I know. calling it free but but, yeah. but you know what I mean like compared to yeah. it's, um, it's, it's just the same way that uh, police officers aren't free now here's right. the thing though uh, and, and here's why the Here's again why I was why I've warmed up to the idea of Medicare for all, and the, the problem. Here's why I don't warm up to it. First off, is people abuse the system. Yep. I grew up on food stamps and government assistance, yeah. and I saw my mom sell foods her food stamps to people so she could buy alcohol, yeah. and and then as I, I get my first job when I'm 14, and I'm looking at. All this money that's coming. I'm I'm 14 years old, making four dollars and 25 cents an hour, working at Americana in Middletown, Ohio, and and all this money's coming out of my paycheck, and I'm realizing like everyone in my neighborhood sells their food stamps. Right, right. Mm. And I'm I'm paying to subsidize alcohol and T-bone steaks. And this again goes to the center, right? Where right. where it's like. I want people to fucking work hard and I also don't want people to starve to death. And exactly. like, yeah. there's a way to do it. Have you read, so I was hoping we'd talk more about this. Have you read Hillbilly Elegy? No. God, you gotta read okay. it. I'm in the middle of it right now. Ryan, so uh, J.D. Vance wrote it. A guy named J.D. Vance. He's from Middletown, Ohio. Okay. They're actually filming it right now. They're filming it in Middletown. Oh, wow. Um, 
And uh, so my mom grew up in Middletown. It's, it's just south of Dayton. It's, cool. it's between Cincinnati and Dayton, Middletown. Uh, anyway, uh, yeah, uh, Ryan lived in Centerville. Um, <laughs> this, is, this isn't one of the seven jokes in your act, is it? <laughs> no, but we should be writing this down. <laughs> Get this down, podcast, Sean, tweet it. Uh, it's yeah. a tweetable. <laughs> and uh, no, this is just reality. I mean, sadly, it's a sad reality we lived in. It's like, hey, guys, what are we going to name the town? I don't know. Fucking <laughs> in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Middleville, uh, uh, yeah. you're fired. <laughs> so we uh, 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 we grew up in this area, and so JD Vance, his childhood was yours and mine in a blender. Mm. I mean, we're talking the childhood, uh, uh, the spousal abuse, the parents being with multiple uh, 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 father figures, mm-hmm. the, the the divorce, the. Um, so privileged, privileged yeah, and great. totally, yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> right. Um, the, well, and also, so he grew up in Middletown, which is maybe I don't know, forty percent black, sixty percent white. I grew up in an all-black neighborhood. There were two exceptions, <laughs> mom and me, <laughs> and uh, even my brother's black. And so, like, growing up in this neighborhood that uh, was around a whole bunch of other white people, and so in Middletown is there are three there are three parts of Middletown. It's poor black, yep. poor white. Rich white, yeah, and it's not even rich white. It's upper middle class people who worked at Armco, basically, mm-hmm. which is the steel factory there. And, and so um, he grew up there in the the poor white neighborhood. And uh, his family's mostly from Kentucky. A lot of my family's from from Kentucky, and that's why I have a weird accent. And the middle, I have a Middletown accent actually. It's ah. the, the weirdest thing. And and uh, because something like twenty percent of the people who migrated to Middletown are from Kentucky, and. Uh, what I realized is like he wrote a book that's a memoir about our childhood and mm. it is phenomenal. It's one of the best books I've ever read. Yeah. In fact, we've got to get him on the podcast um, because he, the book really took off because it coincidence came out 2016. What else happened in 2016? Trump became president mm-hmm. and people were struggling to understand What's going on in the industrial Midwest? What's going on in the Rust Belt? Yeah. Why are all these people voting for Trump? And he's like, well, I can t- read my book and you'll see why. Yeah. Yeah. There's despair. Not- there's drug abuse. <clears throat> there, There's all the... His mom you know, is strung out on heroin and yeah. he's writing about this. I mean, and- people forget that. This is to what you were saying about Bernie kind of being similar to, to Trump in the, the shake of the system sense, which is... Uh, people forget because it's easy just to be like, if you voted for Trump, you're a racist. I'm unsubscribing mm-hmm. to your podcast. Right. Uh, but people forget that Trump won a lot of districts that Obama won. Mm-hmm. And Obama, when he ran against Hillary, um, ran on change, ran yep. on being kind of anti-establishment. He became establishment a Not little bit. Not just the same districts. He won the same people. He won Middletown when Obama won right. Middletown right. because there were these, these Democrat factory workers. Middletown is a factory town. Uh, yeah, sixty thousand people there, and and Obama won it handily, and yeah. then Trump won it handily. Yeah, I um the the thing I wanted to say to you about yeah. not voting, or, yeah, talk or, or, to or anyone I really want to be talked into voting, but um, like right now I feel like well, I'm not really gonna talk into voting. Oh, okay. What did I write? I wrote Pence's butthole. Oh, I was thinking if we do <laughs> if we do impeach uh if we do impeach uh Trump, people forget that there's gonna be a president Mike Pence who will probably yeah. test all of our buttholes for the gay gene or whatever. Um, <laughs> so uh, so I thought that'd be funny enough to write down. Um, the uh, so I. I totally understand. And what you don't want to do is vote for someone you don't um, agree with. And we're lucky enough, one, um, to live in a, a very liberal state. 
Um, yeah. You know, I'm going to have to think about it a little more now that I live in Arizona. Yeah. Which um, is potentially a swing state now. Right. And it was also, it was really cool of you to, one, be ballsy enough to be like, I don't think I want to vote. This is bumming me out. But also to recognize, I'll, 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 I'll summon old Jamie, uh, your privilege, um, yeah. and be like, but that's easy for me to say as a white dude. I'm going right. to be fine. Yeah. Um, but you do have to send this message, right? So voting in primaries is like incredibly important. So if you think Mayor Pete, because he's actually talking about issues and trying to bring people together, like fuck yeah, I'm gonna send a message and I'm gonna I'm gonna vote for Mayor Pete or you know voting for someone like Bernie. All I want is something that's not the same, right? I yeah. don't want the Kamala Harris, uh, Hillary Clinton, uh, uh, just like neoliberal uh, will support the same wars that Republicans will right. support. Will you know speak to the same whatever? I mean, remember Trump was right about a lot of the stuff he called Hillary on. He was just a fucking hypocrite. So right. when he called Hillary Clinton on like speaking for Goldman Sachs or draining the swamp, he's right. right. And that's why he got a lot of those angry votes. The thing is, they just didn't realize that he was also part of that yeah. uh, problem and his friends with the same guys. Right. Yeah. Um, what I would say is fuck yeah, vote in the primaries. Right. Yeah. Um, if you are not because it's easy to feel apathetic um, ever since I became less political online, I was like, is this just me being apathetic that I'm not reading the newspapers every day, that I'm not tweeting every outrage, that I'm not covering every story that like Democracy Now or like a righteous news organization is covering. And then I started getting the emails I get, just like you guys get the emails you get that are not political. Mm-hmm. And what I would say is, if you think the system's fucked, oh, cool, it's fucked, it is fucked. You can do stuff about it. But what you can definitely do is just focus on who can I help and how can I double down and be an even better person in real life. And I think how can I, I how can I tend the garden that's nearest me? And I think that's where local politics really comes local in. Local politics as well. and also just like being a fucking good person. Yeah. Like be and, and 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 again, maybe this is some privileged bullshit. You can call me out on it, but like I made this joke on the podcast last time I was on, but it's so true. Where When I was the most politically active, if someone was like, Jamie, your mom's on the phone, I'd be like, tell her I can't talk. I'm tweeting about feminism. And I was ignoring <laughs> people in my real life to be this righteous person online. Yeah. And to be honest, like talking to my mom once a week is more important than fucking, but, and, and then she's going to be happier. And because mm. she's happier, maybe she'll get a better job and maybe she won't have to be on welfare or maybe she'll be nicer to my sister who's raising kids and maybe they'll be raised in a nicer, you know, I mean, I remember one time, this is a story I didn't tell. So when I was like my angriest, when I was going on TV, I mean, my Conan appearance is me screaming about drones. It's the most complaints they've ever gotten. <laughs> uh, the uh, When I was at that phase, um, I had this story that um, that I I, I I improvised once in a storytelling show. I would have never done it. My whole set was political. It was fuck the man, blah, blah, blah. And I had this story about my dad. And the story about my dad, the premise of it was when you get older and you realize that the reason you hated your parents is because they were decent people. You know, when I think about all the times Ooh. I was like, fuck you, dad. I hate you, dad. It was because he was terrified or it's because mm. I was fucking doing drugs in the house and wanted to be in a band and was just this cliche piece of shit kid. <laughs> and this whole story is about discovering that, number one. And then the second part of the story was, it was his birthday and I wanted to get him this gift because I hadn't gotten him this gift, so I go to get him this gift. And long story short, they think I'm shoplifting while I'm trying to prove to my dad that I'm an adult and I'm a better person. I get detained by like mall security trying to get him this. So I have this whole story about it. 
And at the time, uh, I was walking with Janine Garofalo, who's a very well-known political uh, comic, very righteous, very, you know, spoke out against the Iraq war when it was not popular to, got death threats, as political as you can get for a comedian. And we're walking in Union Square. I think my mom relapsed and called, and that's why I started talking about alcoholism in my family. And, uh, you know, Janine only became friends with me because I was this real big political comic and she really liked it. And uh, I start telling her this story and she goes, you have to tell this story on stage. And I literally say to the most political comedian, I go, I can't, it's not political. She goes, what the fuck are you talking about? Mm. She's like, that's such a political statement, like rekindling this relationship with your dad. So sure enough, I start telling the story on stage and that's the story that attracted Robin Williams. That's I once had a guy uh, in the back of a San Francisco comedy club give me a $50 bill and I go, what's this for? And he's like, you brought me and my son back together. Mm. Like, how is that? I think we think of political as just these wonky polls and uh, resolutions and impeachment and all this stuff. But honestly, right now we are being so sh- fucking shitty to each other that... And again, there could be a fucking black person in a wheelchair listening to this that was like, my brother was shot by the cops and they're not building a ramp to get me up like in my school district. Like, you need politics. You do need politics. Of course, racism is is real. And I mean... I mean, I've seen it in my own life because I grew up with a black brother, and right. so like we go to we could go to the same uh, store together, and I could steal everything. Right, and right, just right. watch him. He's actually a great diversion. He walks around, doesn't steal anything, <laughs> occupy security. You throw everything in your fucking bag. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I've been pulled over by cops before. I've never been tased. He's nope. been tased twice. I've yeah. never been like, where are my hands? Where am I? No, yeah. I, I have, but that's just because growing up around black people, I, I also realized like I would have the same reactions, and so. Yeah. I even now when we get pulled over, like we're at the we're at the border, like driving to Canada, and they're always like, "Why are you so nervous?" I'm like, I get nervous around cops because my all of my friends always got nervous around cops. Wow, that's nuts. And uh, so I see that, and that's when you talk about systemic racism. It's not overt. Yeah. It um, it is part of a system that sometimes doesn't even realize it's racist. Yeah. And. Uh, I think we need to be we need to acknowledge that But even you saying that to your big audience is arguably more important than voting. I'm going to tell I mean, however, here's where it gets tricky, though, Hmm. where it gets tricky. And this is what I always realize with the voting is when you look at how many tens of thousands of people don't vote and a lot of them are disenfranchised where it's like if we got all of them to vote then maybe we would have more candidates that represent the people. Yeah. All of them to, yeah, and it doesn't but, have to be, uh, all of them need, should have voted for Hillary. No, it's, it could be like, hey, you know what? If the, uh, uh, who is Jill Stein running for last time? Green Party. Green Party. Party. Yeah. So if, if the Green Party would have had 15% of the vote, then they'd be, they would be forced to be in the debates. In the debates. Yeah. Uh, if they had 5% of the vote, then they would get public financing. Right, and yeah. now you get to at least hear their side. You know, I mean, the reason they cracked down on third parties uh, was because Ross Perot did good. Yeah. And they were like, fuck this. Yeah. Uh, and Ross Perot was more conservative, but that scared the shit out of them. And I remember Ralph Nader said something to me that really, really struck with, uh, stuck with me, where I go, what do you say to people who you know said you were a spoiler? And he goes, he goes, I'd say Al Gore was a spoiler to me. <laughs> he was like, we had different policies. 
people voted for me because I stood for things that he didn't. Mm. Why should we live in a free country where you are forced to vote with someone you disagree with? And I think one of the most important things that you could do politically is fight to get these voices heard more. Or if the voices aren't being heard, you know, even you saying things like, like the Black Lives Matter thing is so huge uh, because it has been so demonized uh, in the media. But when you look at the words like Black Lives Matter, that's as low a bar as you can get. They're saying we matter. They're not yeah. saying black lives are better. They're not saying. So even like having a public platform and getting to point out this shit where it's like, hey, the woke left can be ridiculous about what they get offended. However, we do have a race problem. And you talking about your brother like these stories, storytelling is really important. No one believes politicians anymore, but they listen to podcasts and they listen to honesty and they listen to storytelling. Uh, and a lot of times like like what you just said about your brother being fucking tased and about how it was so bad that you would like almost like hot racism like it was like some disease <laughs> uh that's gonna stick with me more than kamala harris who was a fucking cop fucking over poor black people giving her speech that is popular now with the woke crowd i'm like i don't believe you i don't re- even remember what you said your story i will remember forever and that story will affect people so like we can do a lot as public figures as storytellers as people who are fucking just being honest and vulnerable just you saying man, I don't know if I want to vote is enough to get maybe a hundred people who heard that Hmm. to go, you know what? I didn't want to vote, but I wasn't going to tell anyone. And now I hear the angst in someone I respect's voice and I kind of have that angst. So like, what can I do if I'm not going to vote to make up for it? Do you know what I mean? Like just by being vulnerable and honest, like that shit does a lot. But if you were just like nihilistic, like fuck the system, everyone look out for themselves. I'm not voting. I don't give a fuck. I'm white. Peace. Uh, Yeah. I don't, I don't think I would say I'm not going to vote to our, like I'm doing this for Patreon. Right. Of course. Because I can open up a little bit, but like, uh, I would never encourage someone to not vote if any if anything i'd encourage people to vote honestly yeah, yeah same but same, same, same. but you know the election the presidential elections over a year away um i do care about human rights yeah i do care about uh you know equal rights i care about the environment and if there is a side that is sticking up for those things then maybe i'll vote but right now it, it's it's not about let's stand up for what's right let me stand up for what i believe in it's more about like no, 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 this person's bad. No, 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 that person. It's right, like, it's this right, name right, right. calling and it's almost like they're they're racing to the bottom. Yeah, that's why I'm like, I'm going to vote for someone who uh, who really just like inspires a change in narrative. Yeah. Um, that's why I like Buttigieg, man. Is he, he's like, I don't talk about Trump because that's, that's empowering Trump. Dude, you know who, what I think he would be, like if there's not a chance he's going to win, I would fucking love, because I think his greatest asset is as an orator like obama yeah yeah he's the most obama like he's the most obama like where if fucking if warren or bernie tapped him for vp and he Mm. could just use his fucking skills as like a speaker while learning more about washington and then eventually running Uh that Mm -hmm. would be huge so let's 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 wrap this up with with who who are you looking at right now where you're like i really i really like this person's policies i like their ideas i mean bernie i like for shaking shit up i do i there's this run, I'm like, I'm not as much of a fan as when isn't he that, was running. Isn't that weird, it's man? weird, right? Same way. And I don't well, know it's if it's... He's, he's, he's pulled a lot of people toward his ideas, and it could be that there are 
there are better representatives of yeah. these ideas. Well, I thought Warren was going to be a more likable version of him, but now Warren's kind of going to like the extremes and then the the whole Clinton thing. I mean, honestly, the person when I'm watching the debates I get the most excited about is Mayor Pete for sure. Yeah. Um. So I think I'll probably I think I'll probably vote for him. Um. Yeah. Kamala Harris I think is just a fucking corporate hack. Mm. I mean, she used to brag about putting poor black people in jail for like these truancy policies wow. and she was awful on the war on drugs um and that's the kind of flip-flopping where i'm just like i don't fucking trust you yeah. um i hate all of the uh gotcha stuff i even with biden like we're focusing on the wrong stuff with biden where we're like he he called a lady sweetheart i'm like i don't know i'm more concerned that he was like in the pockets of like all the fucking credit card companies when right. he like worked in delaware and you know um yeah, dude, I think Mayor Pete, because I'm like, the the people who are pandering to the far, far, far left, I'm like, I find that disingenuous, yeah. but I also don't want just another corporate Democrat who's not going to accomplish anything, so, you know, four years yeah. from now, one of Trump's fucking kids will be elected. Um, so I think Mayor totally Pete agree. Mayor Pete stands out as something different. Yeah, he's, I mean, I still, I'm not, like, totally off the Bernie bandwagon, but yeah, I like I like Mayor Pete. I'm, I, think I would like vote for Bernie or Mayor Pete. I think. But I'll tell you what, though, man, this impeachment stuff. So dude, I was driving to L.A. Me, so I missed a lot of it. Me, who, uh, dude, I just for me with Trump. Here's the thing: the billionaire is not going to stick it to the billionaires. Right. Right. So I just don't. He's he, out of all the candidates in the primaries in 2016. Uh, they, he is the mo- He's the one I trust the least because it, it is a. He's a reality star, it, very narcissistic, very all about himself. Um, so, so that's why I don't trust him. You know, whether whether who he actually is, I don't know, but I know what I've seen just from from when, from being a little kid. Right. So, so I'm I'm only saying this because uh, I don't trust him. But with this impeachment stuff, there's a piece of me, and this is what scares me. There's a piece of me that's like fucking sticking to him, Trump. Just because you're so just sick because of I'm the so, reactionary. I'm so sick of the reactionary, and I'm so sick of the pettiness yeah it's like it's not that i'm rooting for trump but i am not rooting for impeachment you're rooting against the system in a way yeah and i think i'm the, rooting against the pettiness well here's the weird thing that, that i feel about the impeachment and we got to wrap this up but um the the i think we're if, if he's doing something that is an impeachable offense by the way we we've we've never removed anyone from office from for impeachment we've only impeached i think two people ever yeah what clinton, clinton and nixon no, he was never impeached. Um, he wasn't. No, he stepped down. He stepped down all the time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, who was it? It wasn't Hamilton. It was uh, uh, Jackson Johnson. Yeah, it was Jackson or Johnson, one of the two. Um, and uh, Clinton still served out the rest of his term too, which is weird. Well, no, we've ne- but we've never removed anyone. So you okay. impeach someone without removing them from well, office. The, the Clinton thing was so ridiculous i think that's why a lot of democrats are getting petty and stuff right where it's just like you're removing this guy for fucking cheating cheating on his wife when like trump was talking about grabbing women by the pussy and like basically assaulting people and like but also democrats are handling this so much of the russia stuff has been bullshit like it hasn't been true where it's just like guys trump does enough bad shit that we shouldn't have to make up weird things and sound like lunatics who are trying to impeach this guy when people say winch hunt like yeah there's a piece man that's like there's they're not far off from no, that and then being you're a witch hunt. Trump and yeah. you're giving Trump yeah. supporters a reason just to be like, you're it's a witch hunt, the Russia stuff. Uh, yeah, them. there's fake news. And then suddenly you're giving validity to all this 
to this crazy man, yeah. right? Um, I just don't want fucking President Pence. He scares the shit out of me. We're yeah. gonna wrap this up with uh, Pete Buttigieg reads Onion headlines about Pete Buttigieg. Amazing. And uh, I would encourage folks to check out Jamie Kilstein. His podcast is on Apple Podcasts and wherever else it's you everywhere. listen to podcasts. Yeah. It's the Jamie Kilstein podcast. It's every day. And I would strongly encourage you, since you're a patron of ours, we're grateful for that. Become a patron for Jamie Kilstein as well. Patreon.com slash Jamie Kilstein podcast. Jamie, thank you for uh, joining us. Thank today. you guys so much. It was I, really fun. I got to say, just thank you so much for our patrons for allowing us to be open and they seem very for us to kind of yeah i mean like to, to allow you know josh and i to kind of talk we didn't get super political but i think we did a little bit and we might have lost some people and i'm sorry we didn't but for the ones that stuck around like i'm so happy that you stuck around and i really do appreciate that you support josh and i like this jamie we're gonna do an ask the minimalist anything you want to stick around for that real yes. quick yes we'll do that we uh do something once a month for our the true fans on on patreon where we do a ask the minimalist anything we've got oh, yeah. some questions so we'll dive into that enjoy pete Buttigieg reads onion headlines about pete Buttigieg. we'll Thanks see you so. next time love Bye. people use things I was hoping we could end this conversation today by injecting a little bit of levity. Uh, I'm sure you've seen where they have celebrities read mean tweets on, on the air. I don't have any mean tweets for you, so you don't have to worry about it. Um, but I have some... I'd like to see Mayor Pete read some onion headlines oh, wow. about Mayor Pete. Oh, God. Are, right. you, are you willing to do that? Sure. <laughs> Let's see what we got here. We got some good ones got for you. four or five of them for you here. All right. <laughs> Pete Buttigieg stuns campaign crowd by speaking to manufacturing robots in fluent binary. That's <laughs> <laughs> a picture of it and everything. It's so good. So this is like a play on, yeah, of course, like, you know, you learn Norwegian to, to read that book, but so you um, you don't know binary, though. I do not. No, not yet. <laughs> uh, yeah. well, you, you know seven languages, I think? Yeah, although uh, not to be too binary about it, right? Because <laughs> there's no language I've mastered. I'm getting there with English, but... but um, uh, but yeah, I love languages and I've, I've, I've studied a lot of them. They're all getting pretty rusty because I don't have a lot of occasions for uh, busting out the Norwegian when I'm campaigning. Although, of course, it's helpful to speak Spanish if only to oh, yeah. e even my, my kind of serviceable high school Spanish just lets people who speak Spanish know that, that I care about them and, and, and want to hear what they have to say. But uh, no, I love languages. I'm not sure binary is going to make. I'd probably try to learn sign language before I try to learn binary. <laughs> That's probably but, a good call. Uh, all right, well, we'll, we'll keep on the list. list. <laughs> yeah. What we got next here? Uh, all right. Pete Buttigieg releases comprehensive list of fun personality quirks to include in articles about him. I haven't seen this one. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the thing is, like, you are sort of the fun personality quirk candidate. Um, wow. and, and a lot of them are, are truly meaningful, and I think that's why it's easy to sort of to, to mock it, where it's like, yeah. oh, he happens to be the millennial gay right. married christian <laughs> um uh, uh, uh war veteran who spent yeah all, all of the these things yeah. but um uh yeah i don't uh, do, do you have that list handy uh, <laughs> no i think i'm running out of quirks i, I just uh, <laughs> gotta come up with some new campaign ones kind of beats them out of you but uh, <laughs> let's go ahead and seen that uh, all right this next one is uh, this is geared toward uh, a mayor running for president for sure all right let's see what we got here 
2020 presidential candidate Pete Buttigieg announces bold plan for 2,500 mile intercontinental river walk. Okay. <laughs> I think it's a great idea. Mary <laughs> it's a great idea. Why, who wouldn't want, why, why wouldn't you want that? That's awesome. You could ride your bike across yeah. the country. Three millennials um, sitting here. Yeah, we all think it's a great idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure where it fits on the priority list, but... Uh, um, yeah. No, I'm all for it. I mean, this is. I think the mayoral mentality is going to do a lot of good in the Oval Office. <laughs> yeah. And finally, my favorite. All right. <clears throat> oh God. Pete Buttigieg charms crowd at Iowa truck stop by sampling local meth. Okay, that's, <laughs> come on, that's, that's because you're really down to earth. Oh no. oh no! I mean, we, we, this is what we got. I mean, I get that it's the Onion, but yeah. um, you know, we we got to. Uh, we got to make sure people get, and I think we talked earlier about coming from parts of the country that are talked about in a certain way, right? Like, we got to make sure people get just how much we have going for us as well as against us in, in the middle of America. And, um, you know, when people, not to mess up your moment of levity, but, uh, you know, a big part of what we're trying to do with our mental health plan is recognize that, that when you do see a lot of substance issues somewhere, mm. all right, what, what are people medicating for? Right. And it comes back to this idea of belonging. And yeah. if we're building up a sense of belonging, then we're going to be in so much better shape. So totally don't agree. mean to jump off that for a policy diatribe, but <clears throat> well, you know, if we can't laugh thinking. at it, then I guess we cry about it. <laughs> yeah. I think Kafka said like the best way to deal with life's most serious issues is via jokes. Mm, yeah. and, and I think that's why comedians are able to you know, sort of bring some very difficult conversations yeah. to the forefront before anyone else. We, yeah. When it's too soon for everyone else to talk about it, you can have someone like Dave Chappelle. Yeah. A, da- a Dayton native, by the That's way, right. yeah. um, mm-hmm. who can uh, who could talk about some things that are that are really sensitive. But uh, Mayor Pete, I want to wish you the best. I want to congratulate you for writing a beautiful book. I want to wish you the best on the campaign. We're really thanks. grateful you decided to spend this time with us. So we really enjoyed it. Hope we get another chance. Yeah, thanks for being here. Thanks, Bryce. Appreciate it. Oh, all right, y'all. Love people, use things. <laughs> we'll see you next time. See you next time. The minimalists. <laughs>